Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, hello, hello. This is Out of Place, and I'm Pacific Obadiah. We hope you enjoy our third episode, and just a quick reminder, if you like the show and you like what we do, you can support us at midnightdisease.net slash join. For just $5 a month, you can get early and ad-free access to Out of Place, the Theater of Tomorrow, the Hotel, and, when it arrives on November 14th, our newest show, Margaret's Garden. All of that at midnightdisease.net slash join. You can also find a link to that in our show notes below. Without further ado, enjoy this week's episode. Miss Arundel brought me a cup of tea this morning. She does that from time to time. I suppose dealing with the paperwork the Carruthers Institute somehow generates can't be all that exciting. She always says the same thing. One sugar for Andrew. And gives me a smile. She's a nice lady. I get nervous when she strikes up a conversation, but that's me, not her. She's late. Thirties, maybe? Forties? I've never been good at guessing ages. And quite... Tweedy. She wears her hair up and there are a few grey streaks. She perched on my desk and asked me how I was getting on. I said it was fine, I was making good progress, and I wonder if she was a bit disappointed I didn't go into anything more personal. I have a feeling she's trying to get something started. An office romance in the catacombs under Bloomsbury. I should probably drop a hint she's barking up completely the wrong tree, but I've never been able to steer the conversation that way. Then she remembered, she said, that there had been a package couriered in that morning. It was addressed to the Institute for the Attention of the Archivist, and that, she supposed, was me, and I agreed that I supposed it was. She handed me a box which I'd previously assumed she'd only carried to balance the cups of tea on. It was wrapped in brown paper. My heart sank. It was another one from the project, I knew it. 
I smiled at Miss Arundel and thanked her. She left, letting me know to come up to talk to her if I ever got lonely down in the boneyard. I said I'd be sure to do exactly that, knowing that I wouldn't. The package was heavy. I opened it and saw a small ivory-coloured card with a handwritten note. From Mr. Havisham. Under the card was another box, and in that box was a mass of packing material. And inside that was an egg. Not a natural egg, a jewelled one. A piece of decoration. It was the size of an ostrich egg. It weighed far more than it looked like it should. I took it gingerly out of the box, uncertain of what I was looking at, and I saw it came with a separate golden claw-footed stand on which it could be placed, resting on its side. The egg was a deep blue, covered in a curving lattice of gold like a net, with gemstones at each junction. Red, blue and white. Maybe rubies, sapphires and diamonds. I just stared at it. It was a strange combination of beautiful and ugly. Beautiful because it was gorgeously made, even I could tell that. The blue enamel had a perfect intricate pattern of curves like waves. The gems were like tiny stars. In the dusty grey of the archives it reflected the fluorescent lights and seemed to glow. But it was ugly. Because it was something that only existed to show off money. If it was real, if the diamonds and gold were the real thing, it probably cost more than a hospital wing. Someone had so much money they decided to make this thing rather than change the lives of people who had nothing. Or maybe that's just me rebelling against my dad. The stand had two oval portraits set into it. They looked like they were painted on enamel. They were each of a different warship, grey and looming on churning seas. I had a roommate in college, Ewan, who was big into military history. He was the kind of rivet counter who could have told you what those two ships were from the arrangement of the funnels, or at least have an Osprey book tucked away somewhere he could use to look it up. I couldn't tell what ships they were, except that they were after the Age of Sail, a very unromantic image for an object like this. Peter Karl Fabergé made jeweled eggs, mostly for the Russian royal family from the late 19th century up until the revolution in 1917. No one's completely sure how many of them there were, because a lot of them have gone missing. Of all the things you keep an eye on, you think a Fabergé egg was one of them, but nonetheless the Soviets managed to lose them in some warehouse under the Kremlin, or else some chance has spirited a couple away while the Romanovs were getting shot and melted them down for a quick ruble. When the ones that are left come up for sale, they go for around the eight to ten million dollar mark. Eggs still get made under the Fabergé trademark, but mostly for oil billionaires in the Middle East, and I don't think what I had on my desk was one of those. I can't imagine an oil shake wanting a million dollar paperweight with a picture of an ugly grey battleship on it. And it didn't seem the kind of thing this Mr. Havisham would send to be archived. As much as he was still a mystery to me, including whether there was a single individual behind the name or not, I doubted a piece of modern-day millionaire's kitsch was something he would care about. This was the real thing, or at least as real as anything else he and his project had sent to the Institute. 
The egg was hinged at the base so it could open lengthways. The Fabergé eggs all contained a surprise. A miniature sculpture or a place for a portrait or keepsake. Sometimes they were animated or articulated. I stared at the egg for a long time before I dared to try and open it. I imagined a priceless gold fitting pinging off to be lost in the dust beneath the computer room shelves. Eventually I tried to open it and found it came open quite easily. Inside was a relief map on three ivory panels with the intricate coastlines picked out in gold that unfolded like a fan as the two halves of the egg came apart. On one side the map was of a continental coastline with some islands off the coast and on the other was a scatter of islands. The land was left ivory while the seas were enamelled blue again. The mainland was emblazoned with a coat of arms of a two-headed eagle on a golden shield. Tiny crossed sword logos in silver speckled the coastlines. Around the solid surface of the egg's lower half were inscribed characters in Cyrillic and the date... 1907. I looked up the Cyrillic. I'll, um, I'll spare you the whole thing. It's the title of Tsar Nicholas II, the last Russian Tsar. That checks out, at least in 1907, Nicholas II was still alive and his family was still receiving eggs from Fabergé. The coat of arms is Russian too. The date also helped me narrow down the location of the map. One side has the eastern coast of Russia along with the Korean peninsula and the Japanese islands. The other side is the islands between Asia and Australia. Uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines, Papua New Guinea, the Solomon Islands and all those, those tiny islands of the South Pacific all picked out in ivory and gold. What struck me was how China wasn't there. The land that should have been China was just the glittering blue of the sea. Australia should have impinged on the other map too but it was left off. That, and the fact that the whole map was coloured the same as Russia, suggested an empire, including most of the lands between the Indian and Pacific Oceans and a big chunk of Oceania. An empire under the arms of Tsar Nicholas II. The Russo-Japanese War was fought in approximately the same area as the map in the egg. It was technically fought over influence in Manchuria and Korea, but it was really another one of those dick-swinging contests between colonial powers before the First World War. It ended in a pretty solid hiding for the Russians. Nicholas II ended up looking like an idiot, and the whole shambles was one of the reasons for the Russian dissatisfaction with the Tsar, which ended in 1917 with the Romanovs all getting shot. The warships, as far as I could tell, were from the right period, and a couple of battles line up too. But this egg wasn't made to commemorate the kind of shooing the Russians got in the Pacific. It was a celebration. It was a relic of a war that ended two years later than it should have, with Japan and everything it would later make a part of its empire being part of the Russian Empire instead. A Russian victory in the Russo-Japanese War would have changed the hell of a lot. No militaristic Japan to complicate things in World War II. A conquering hero on the Tsar's throne instead of a weak inbred moron. An empire to suck in money and resources and glorify the line of the Tsars. 
Perhaps even enough to make the Bolsheviks think that overturning the apple cart wasn't such a good idea after all. Maybe no revolution. Maybe no Soviet Union. No Cold War. No space race. No Red Scare. No nukes. It was quite the thing to think about. The third year of my degree had a module on Russian history, but that was when I... stopped going. I don't even remember if I went to any of it. But every gemstone and filigree on that bloody egg pushed it all further away from the 20th century I thought I knew. I went to fold it back up, but I felt a bit of give on the inner surface of the egg's lower half, the part with the inscription. I thought for a moment I had managed to break the bloody thing, but it was hinged by a mechanism inside the lower half. I pressed it and something clicked. The map snapped up into the upper half and the lower half turned over, revealing the second surprise, the one hidden inside. It was made of gold, almost the size of my fist, and it was hideous. Its body was hunched and segmented, and it had six legs. Its eyes were made of rubies, and it was covered in silver bristles of stiff hair. It was so ugly, I think I might have cried out. Thank God there was no one else there in the basement. I settled down and tried to work out what this thing was. A monster from Russian folklore, maybe. But it wasn't. Eventually I worked out it was a flea. Strange thing to celebrate in gold, but it definitely was. I couldn't tell you exactly which type, because it turns out the hungry little bastards have hundreds of species. So that mystery was solved, but not the greater mystery of what a hugely magnified golden flea was doing inside a Fabergé egg. Fleas carry the bubonic plague also known as the Black Death. Also, types of typhus, septicemic plague, some horrible skin-rotting condition called tungiasis, and God knows how many other awful diseases. Was it disease that turned the course of the war? Nicholas II hardly seems the kind of despot to credit his victory to the random presence of a parasite, though. To earn a place in a Fabergé egg... I think it would have to be deliberately deployed. Biological warfare wasn't new in 1905. The end of the Russo-Japanese War as we know it, but before germ theory it was difficult to pull off accurately. It was better for genocide than warfare. Weaponized diseases created in a 1905 lab seemed pretty ridiculous at first, but then... Mankind is a species that dropped a nuclear bomb in 1945 and went to the moon with a computer that couldn't even run Pong. If we absolutely, positively have to kill a huge number of people, and the theory exists, we'll make it happen. All it would need is an Einstein, born a generation earlier, who tended towards biology instead of physics, and... (sighs) I'm doing it again. I fill in the gaps. Human brains do that. They take a piece of the picture and fill in the rest, and we believe what we've drawn in our heads, even if there's no proof we've got it right. 
I put the flea back in his compartment and closed the egg. I packed it into its box and put it on one of the back shelves where no one will find it unless they know where to look. Maybe it'll eventually be forgotten like all the bones and pots and stone arrowheads in this place. I hope I'll forget it. Every time I think about that bloody egg, I start to itch all over. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.